We turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 2. Mark 2. We read the first 17 verses of the chapter and we take that last 17th verse as our text for the sermon this evening. We hear the inspired word of God. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they coming unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And then here is the word of our text. When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider Christ's coming with regard to Advent or Christmas, we consider the purpose for which Jesus came. Why did he come? Jesus came with a purpose. And believing not only that Jesus came is important, but believing the purpose for which he came is significant. But even more than that, that we very personally approach this season and we ask this question, why did Jesus come for me. Jesus came in order to call sinners 
to repentance. Jesus came in order to save me, a sinner. Each of us needs to confess our sin. Each of us needs to know the burden of that sin in order to know the beauty and the wonder of the coming of Jesus Christ. There are many passages that talk about the purpose of Jesus' coming. This passage here very clearly stresses the reason for Jesus coming into human flesh. Why is it that the Son of God came specifically to call sinners to repentance? He came as the great physician knowing that there were sick people that needed his attention. And so Jesus issues the call. He issued that call here in our text to Levi. He saw Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and Jesus simply said, follow me. That call, Jesus issues. That call, which is in essence a call to repentance. Jesus doesn't just issue it one time in our lives. He issues it again and again and again throughout our lives. And as we hear that call repeatedly, by the wonder of God's grace, we repent. We turn from our sin. We hear that call as it comes to the preaching. We hear that call as it comes from our parents, as it comes from teachers, as it comes from the elders. We hear that call as it goes forth. And we don't just acknowledge what we've done. We acknowledge who we are. That we are sinners in need of that divine physician. Humbly, we acknowledge ourselves then to be those who are not righteous of ourselves, but those who are sick. We look at this passage under that theme, calling sinners to repentance. Noting the context here, the call and the repentance. In verse 14, we noted that as he passed by, he saw Levi. Jesus is teaching here in the region of Galilee. This was something that Jesus did often. And as the catechism students recently have studied, Jesus made three separate trips into Galilee so that the bulk of his three years on earth was spent in the region of Galilee. Jesus often taught in the region of Capernaum by the seaside. And as he would teach by the seaside, then he would take the journey along the sea which ran south. And Jesus now has done that. He's walking along the seaside. He's been teaching and he's been, especially during this time period, engaged in miracles. That's the emphasis that we find throughout Mark, not only, but in this first chapter and second. Jesus is performing miracles, so much so that multitudes are coming to him. And who's coming to Jesus? Not those that are healthy, not those that are well, those that are sick. Jesus now walks by the place of custom, which was the toll booth. And there is a certain Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting by that toll booth. He was a toll collector. Another name for that? was a publican. Another name for Levi is Matthew. That comes out in the book of Matthew. It would seem that after Levi was converted, he then changed his name from Levi to Matthew. Matthew meaning the gift of Jehovah. This Levi, as a tax collector, was one who was receiving the taxes then of those who were coming and those who were going into the region. It was a busy thoroughfare, and so he set up his booth there in order to receive these taxes. The tax collectors, as your children know, were known for cheating and stealing. 
They were hated and despised by the people. They represented the Romans. That alone was reason for despising them. But they had a bad reputation in that they wouldn't just take what was necessary. They would always take more. And as a result, then, they lived a very lavish lifestyle. They would skim the profits for themselves, and their wealth and their lavish lifestyle would attract tremendous opposition. But it also affiliated them then with those who were identified as sinners. With their lavish lifestyle, they would get engaged in prostitution and all kinds of other sins. So that again and again in the Bible, we read of the publicans and the sinners. They interacted together. Now the Jews were so furious with regard to these tax collectors, these publicans, that they had made a law that no tax collector, no publican was allowed in the temple. They could not step foot into the temple. And we can understand the sins and that of which they were guilty, motivating the Jews to such a perspective. The doors of the temple closed to these individuals because of their sin. And these individuals then were looked down on. They were despised. They were viewed as hopeless sinners for whom there was no possibility of salvation. Now Jesus is walking by one such man, Levi, and Jesus interacts with the man. And Jesus then calls to him, follow me. Now we believe God had already been at work in the heart of this Levi. God had already regenerated this man who had been chosen by him from before the foundations of the world. And God had worked in him so that as this interaction takes place, Levi hears the call of Jesus. Levi already had been regenerated then, given a new life, a new heart. It's evident from the other gospel narratives that Levi also had been following Jesus' miracles. Levi had already been taken up a bit with Jesus and was watching the things that Jesus was doing and was impressed with Jesus' conduct. Now, hearing the call of Jesus, immediately Levi leaves everything behind and he follows Jesus. Such is the power of the word of God. Jesus comes and says, follow me. And this man leaves everything behind and he pursues his Lord. Jesus was speaking with authority. That authority had just been seen in the context of our text. Jesus had entered into that home and Jesus was teaching in that home and you recall again the story as Jesus is teaching there's a man that's sick with a palsy and the friends of this man are so eager to get him to Jesus but they can't get in the door and so they go on the roof cut a hole and they lower him right in front of Jesus and this sick man is wanting to be healed and what does Jesus say thy sins are forgiven thee that's not what he wanted to hear that's not what his friends wanted to hear. They had worked this hard to lower the man in front of Jesus to hear, your sins are forgiven? And those around in the, city, in the room were saying, who does this man think he is, this Jesus, that says his sins are forgiven? So Jesus, understanding what was going on, then addresses that matter. He says, yeah, it's easy to say thy sins. Any of us can say thy sins be forgiven. And who can prove that it really can happen? And so Jesus says, to show that I have power to forgive sin, I'm going to do something greater. I'm going to do something that you can see. Not greater from a 
earthly, physical perspective. But Jesus then says to the man, take up thy bed and walk. And so in the eyes of all of these people, the voice, the command of Jesus is such that this man is healed immediately of the palsy as proof and evidence of the power of the word of God. Those who doubted that Jesus could say, thy sins be forgiven, are now confronted with this reality. He just spoke, and this man who was lame is now walking. That's the power of the word of God. The word of God goes forth with power. And Jesus says, follow me. And the Spirit works the conviction in the heart by which that one follows. That word goes forth through the preaching. It impacts lives. It causes individuals then to know the power of the word of God and to live out of that word of God. And the fruit of that in our lives is that we then share it with others. We then are motivated to teach others that word. We share it with those around us. And the essence of that word is the truth of the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. That word, follow me, also in essence, as we'll get at, met, repent, turn from your sins. And as Jesus' call comes forth, the fruit that it works in our hearts is that we repent. We lay hold on Jesus Christ. We confess him as Savior. And we embrace him as the one whom we love and whose commandments are our delight. This one who saved me, this one who called me now to follow him is the one who loved me unto death. He's the one that controls all things that take place in the world. And as my Savior, as my Lord, he now gives me the grace that I need to pursue him. The question that we have constantly then for Jesus as his disciples, as his followers, is this. What wilt thou have me to do? Eager we are to do his will. It's not my will that I'm consumed with. It's what will I do to pursue his will? Levi heard this call, and he responds with gratitude and thankfulness. He knows the forgiveness of sins. And what's his immediate response? He wants to share it with everyone that he can. Between verses 14 and 15 here, likely there was some time. 14, referring to Jesus' call of Levi. And then 15, it came to pass, now Jesus is sitting at meat in his house. Levi, after having been called, shares the wonder of his salvation and of Jesus with all of his friends. And in response to that, out of zeal for what God has done for him, he calls a party. He wants everybody to come to his house. And he invites Jesus to come as well with his disciples so that his other friends can interact with Jesus and can know the hope and the joy that he has experienced as a result from his interaction with his Lord. He couldn't keep quiet. Now, some might accuse him of being overly zealous in his newly converted state. But we commend that zeal. That zeal now is evidence in that now he invites Jesus to come to his house in order to enjoy fellowship and interact with his friends. And that elicits the anger of the Jews. Again, what was the Jews' perspective? These people are outcasts. These people are rejected. These people are publicans. They're sinners. They're those concerning whom the Jews already had established a clear judgment. And that judgment was... These people cannot be saved. 
There is no place for these people within the kingdom of heaven. The best thing that we can do is leave these people alone. They're going to hell. So for sure don't interact with them. Don't talk with them. For sure don't be drinking and eating with them. And that judgment that the Jews made, they enforced. They enforced it with one another and now their intention is to enforce it with Jesus and his disciples. These people are not worthy of salvation. But look at Jesus now. He's sitting, eating and drinking with these sinful individuals. And so the judgment now of the Pharisees and the scribes is Jesus has made himself a sinner with them. And Jesus has now joined in their sin. He's interacting with them. And in their estimation, we now have a sealed case against Jesus. Now, of course, they don't say that directly to Jesus. How often is it not the case where someone has a concern with me, but they want to go talk to somebody else about it? And that's what they do. They go talk to the disciples. They say to the disciples, look, look, what is Jesus doing? What is he thinking? And Jesus then, in occasion to that questioning and that concern, states the words of our text. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. Jesus here compares himself to a doctor. He came to heal spiritual sickness. A doctor, in order to heal, needs to get close. A doctor needs to talk with a patient. A doctor needs to interact with that patient in order to discern what is the problem, what's the concern here, what's the difficulty. The doctor needs to demonstrate a love and a care for this patient in order to bring about their healing and their recovery. If we're going to communicate the truth that God has used to transform me, then I need to get close to my neighbor. I need to get close so that I have a love for them. I have a desire for their well-being. I want to talk with them. The doctor doesn't sit a long ways away from the patient. The doctor gets close, performs his or her examination of the patient. Now some might say, how does that fit with other admonitions in the Bible about interacting with sinners? For instance, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Having no company does not mean that one goes to the other side of the street when he sees that person coming. It doesn't mean that one says, I'm not having nothing to do with that individual. We keep praying for that one. We look for opportunities to communicate the gospel with them. We admonish them as a brother. We don't treat them as an enemy. And as we have opportunity then, we love them. We pray for them. We seek their well-being. Now, we're not going to walk with them and accompany them in their sin. And Jesus wasn't doing that. We're not going to interact with them as though nothing's wrong. Something is wrong. That's why they're at the doctor. That's why the doctor is necessary. And the doctor, with all the concern of his soul, looks to try to heal. And so strong is that love that God works in the hearts of his children, not only for him, but for their fellow friends and relatives, that that desire lives in their heart as well. We don't participate with them in their sin, in their evil. 
We admonish them in love. We seek them out spiritually. And that Jesus does here. Now, Jesus does it in a unique way because he knows the heart. But Jesus now finds himself with all of these individuals. We don't know if every one of them was saved. Likely not. Levi now has invited all of his friends, all the publicans, the sinners that he knows, to his house in order that they can interact with Jesus. Levi knows their status. They are sick. They need a physician. And Jesus is the physician whom they need. Now the Pharisees and scribes took a very different perspective. The confession that Jesus states is, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How is it that the scribes and Pharisees concluded, we're righteous? They thought of themselves more highly than they ought to have. They had a wrong understanding of their sin and of their weakness. And so quickly and so easily that can take hold of us, especially when we're looking at others and we're comparing them with us. In other words, we're looking at things from a horizontal perspective. We're comparing ourselves to other people in the pew. We're comparing ourselves to our relatives, to our neighbors. And as we start comparing ourselves to one another, we begin so quickly to think, I'm righteous. Now that person has issues. I don't know about that one, but I sure don't have the problems, the struggles that that other individual does. They became proud. They became boastful. And Jesus was the threat then to their authority and the self-righteousness that they embraced. Their aim was to prove that Jesus, as the Son of God, so claimed, could not be the Son of God. Because look, he is the one who's eating and drinking now with sinners. When they finally could not prove that Jesus was not the Son of God, what do they do? They crucify him. But beloved, the Pharisee in me and the Pharisee in you makes us proud. It makes us look at relationships in a horizontal manner. It makes us start to think, I thank God that I'm not like that person. I thank God that I'm not like that one sitting on the other side of church. I'm grateful that my situation is not like that one. I'm not a sinner like he is. I'm not a sinner like she is. I'm a lot more faithful than that one. One of the most powerful effects of sin is it blinds. It deceives. And the classic example is someone caught up in addiction. They're blinded to that addiction. They're deceived by sin. So blinding, they will not acknowledge fault and they will not confess it. It's also so easy for us, is it not, to be hearers of the word but not doers, as we read this morning out of James 1. We hear, we know what's necessary, but... We don't do it. We learn to talk the talk. But we forget that the word applies to us. The solution, beloved, is looking vertically. Looking to God. Reminded of the holy, the righteous one. Reminded that that which is the criteria against which we judge ourselves is not one another but the holy law of God. And God works a knowledge of his righteousness. He works a knowledge of his holiness. God works the grace by which in every situation, those who are the recipients of his grace see and confess their fault. They don't look down on others. Not even others who have sinned against them. But they acknowledge that though that one sinned against me, 
I had it coming. I had done this or that, which would have provoked that action. So that the one who's humble admits that even though others have sinned against me, I'm part of the fault. I'm still part of the reason. I made the situation worse. There's things I could have done that could have alleviated the matter. I'm the one yet that bears some fault for the situation. I can't provide myself with deliverance from sin. I have no recourse other than to flee to the arms of my Savior. And I acknowledge my fault. And I flee to the arms of my Savior, looking to Christ, and I confess, I don't deserve it. I know my own sinfulness and my weakness. And I have nothing to repay Him with. I am unworthy. Beloved, such is the wonder of the grace of God worked by the call to repentance. As parents, we instruct our children regarding their sin, their need for Christ. As we have opportunity, we talk with others concerning the hope that lives in our hearts and the necessity of turning away from sin and walking with Christ. Jesus here is not saying the scribes and Pharisees don't need salvation. That's not his point. They need it badly. But the problem is they don't see that need. The work of the Spirit is not present in their hearts and lives. They see themselves as healthy. They see themselves as whole. And they're blind to the voice of Jesus Christ and to his call. Jesus is not with here the sinners in their sin. Jesus is with them as the spiritual doctor who knew his calling to bring salvation to his sick people. And so he issues the call. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The righteous here, a clear reference to those scribes and Pharisees who were not actually righteous, but thought of themselves as those who were without sin. They looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They couldn't wait because they knew that when the Messiah came, he would finally once and for all get rid of all those scum. He'd get rid of all of those wicked people. He'd send them to hell and he'd establish his kingdom with just them who were deserving. And so they were looking for that Savior who would embrace them, he, who would establish that kingdom, and with them would look down on others. Jesus didn't come for those who were proud those who are haughty, those who deem themselves righteous. And Jesus was demonstrating that clearly in the context here of his ministry. This whole aspect of Jesus' ministry was comprised of healing. Jesus was busy with healing. Multitudes were coming to Jesus. As we read from other gospel accounts, it seems that the whole cities were emptying out and all of their sick people were coming to Jesus. Those coming to Jesus were not the healthy. They were not those who were well. But it was all those who were sick. We read of that repeatedly throughout this time period. And so as Jesus is engaged in this healing ministry, he's coming for those who are spiritually sick, not merely, but those who are spiritually lame, those who are spiritually blind, spiritual beggars. He's coming to draw his elect sinners to repentance. And to call them to live a life of repentance. And so that call of the gospel now comes to Levi in our text. When Jesus calls Levi or Matthew, follow me, Jesus is issuing the call to repentance. We don't know just how Jesus caught his attention. As stated, 
Levi had been watching Jesus, and perhaps he saw him coming. And Jesus, as he did with others, caught his eye and made contact with him. And Jesus simply says, according to verse 14, follow me. And immediately, Levi jumps up and he follows Jesus. He turned. He repented from his sin as a publican and tax collector. He left everything to follow Jesus. That's the power, the marvelous power of the call of Christ. We talk about an external and an internal aspect to the call. From an external perspective, the call goes to all to whom God in his good pleasure directs it. From an internal perspective, it's only effectual in the hearts and lives of those whom God has chosen. And so as that external call would come to many, many would refuse it. They did not want to hear. They would rebel. But when that internal call was accompanied with the external call, the Holy Spirit was at work then in the heart of God's children. And here, not just the external call is heard, but there's that internal work of the Spirit present in Levi. And it's evident that Levi was not alone. Many others were called, knew their need of healing, and followed Jesus. Others were called, they heard the call, but they were hardened. They would not respond. They did not confess their sin. It was merely an external, not an internal call. What is Jesus doing here, beloved? Jesus is sending a powerful message to the community of sinners in his day, but also to us. For sinners, there is hope. There's healing. I've come in order to provide that healing. Sin has taken you into captivity. Sin has wreaked havoc in your life. There's no happiness. There's no joy in the pursuit of sin. The hope and joy comes in the way of repentance. When you never confess your sin, when you never repent, you'll never know peace. You'll never know joy. There's never comfort. There's never the knowledge of the love of God in Jesus Christ. But the power of the call is it works that repentance. And it works the wonder by which there's sorrow for sin. There's a joy in salvation. And there's a peace of heart that knows and confesses, God is not against me. God is for me. God forgives the worst of sinners. But not those sinners who think they're something. Not those sinners who are unwilling to acknowledge and confess their sin. Beloved, this is a tremendous call of hope. A call that not only shows us our sin, but reveals the wonder of our salvation. Follow me. And as we hear Christ call us to himself, we never forget, I'm a sinner. A saved sinner. I'm one who doesn't deserve. I'm not good of myself. There's no righteousness within me. The wonder of grace is that Jesus Christ came to call sinners like me to repentance. Beloved, that's the joy of Christmas. That's the wonder that we celebrate in this season. A wonder that's very personal. A wonder that I embrace by grace. Jesus Christ came in order to call me out of my sin, out of the bondage of that sin, to the joy and the wonder of repentance. And we hear Christ we hear Christ daily. We hear Christ repeatedly. And by his grace, we turn again and again and again. And we come to him with thankfulness and with joy. 
Notice the fruit, the response here of Levi to that call. That which follows the call is fellowship with Jesus. What a beautiful thing. He calls this supper and invites Jesus. That which follows, beloved, the call of Christ is fellowship with God. God takes us who were alone, who were lonely, burdened with sin, and God draws us into the most wonderful communion. He gives us to know purpose. He gives us to know that we are members of a body. We're members of Christ. And he takes them into communion and fellowship. What a marvelous thing for those who were unloved, despised, hated. Those who were looked down on and were scorned. Jesus now takes hold of them and he brings them into fellowship, sweet fellowship with himself. And he gives them to know his love and his care for them. He comes to sup with them. Now it's true they were still sinners. It's true that the consequences of those sins were going to remain with them as they do with us. But Jesus demonstrates here the beauty of the grace of God. The grace of God is such that undeserved favor is toward, shown towards sinners. Jesus doesn't say, oh, but Levi, I can't, I can't eat with you yet. I'm going to have to wait a while. You've got to prove yourself first. Jesus immediately now enters his home, enjoys fellowship with Levi. Not on the basis of anything of Levi, but on the basis of all of God's grace and God's goodness. Beloved, this is the wonder of salvation. Sinners adopted into the family of God. Those who are outcasts, those who have no hope, those who are lost, being brought into a family, into an inheritance that's eternal and that will be preserved and kept forever. This is the joy, beloved, of the covenant. God has adopted us. He's taken us to himself. And we now, who were fatherless, have now a father. We have one who loves us and who cares for us. And though Levi had lost, left everything earthly, he now has an inheritance far more glorious than anything on this earth. Such is the beauty and the joy of our salvation. Now immediately, the gossip and self-righteousness again of these Pharisees was evident. How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and with sinners? And they used that question not to clarify, not to be taught. They used that question not because they want to hear an answer or an explanation. The point of the Pharisees is to condemn. It's an evil question. Jesus now is unclean. And by his action, he's rendered himself as such. And they now, by this question, have exposed Jesus as a liar. He said he was a son of God. Obviously, he's not. They thought by this question, they had identified him now as one who is worthy of death. But they're only interested in their own authority, only interested in their own righteousness, hardened by the gospel call. Jesus responds as the physician. And Jesus makes that clear. All I'm doing is healing. People are flocking to me for healing. These people now are putting themselves in the category of those who need to be healed. They're sick and they're looking to me. Those that see themselves as whole 
They don't need me. Jesus makes it very, very simple. And by his simple statement, issues a rebuke to the Pharisees that they would have felt and known. Now, what is repentance? We want to look at a little bit more depth, that idea. The word repentance means a change of mind. Instead of blame shifting, instead of accusing others, I say, I have a lot to confess. And that's the wonder that Jesus works in the hearts of his children. We don't defend ourselves. We don't make up excuses. We're inclined to do so. But instead of proclaiming our goodness, we proclaim that we're not lovable, that we're not righteous. We acknowledge our faults, not just in the past, but in the present. We don't deserve to be loved. There's nothing in me that is deserving. I need a Savior. I'm sick. And I need to be made whole. And my only hope is through the wonder of the gospel. Levi saw himself guilty of covetousness. Levi left behind his wealth and he embraced the wonder of the everlasting riches that were in Jesus Christ. When the call of Christ came to Levi, it stirred in his being a wonder. And God works that wonder in the hearts of his children. As we hear the words of the great physician, come unto me, then we know he's not going to cast me off. He's not going to despise me. He's going to help me. He's going to provide me with that which alone is able to be my eternal security. My sins, though they be great, can never exceed the wonder of his grace and his mercy toward me. Levi confessed his sins and he looked to Jesus. And those who are coming to Jesus now are those who acknowledge their sickness. And the publicans and the sinners now join those unhealthy people confessing their need for Jesus. They throw themselves in the same camp as those that are sick. Levi throws this feast of gratitude and thankfulness to his Savior. Jesus' call had worked in him the wonder and the confession that Jesus is gracious. Jesus is compassionate. The gospel has been proclaimed to a sinner and the death of Jesus Christ is that which provides salvation for the greatest of sinners, even a publican. And for one who is so focused on God that all he could see is his own sin, all he could say was, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the fruit of God's grace of repentance in the heart of his children. The child of God is moved to the depths of his being, acknowledges his unworthiness, and acknowledges, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. I can't come up with any excuses. I can't make up anything that's going to stand before the tribunal of God. And Levi, receiving that love of God, desires now to show it to those around him. Again, beloved, isn't that your and my desire as well? Knowing the joy of our salvation and the hope that's in Christ Jesus, knowing that Jesus came to work repentance in my heart, I desire that others also know that precious gift. 
as we face Christmas, beloved, may we be distinct and antithetical from the world around us. We don't just go to church on Sunday. We don't just go to church on Christmas. We confess ourselves to be in need for that manger and for that cross. Why did Jesus come in human flesh? Why did he take my flesh upon himself? Because I needed repentance. I needed to hear his call. And that he did for even me. This is the glorious work, beloved, for which Jesus came. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? That's according to God's sovereign good pleasure. God is the one who knows his elect, has chosen some. They're the ones that respond. As the call goes forth, repent, follow Christ. Many hear, but only few respond. And those that respond confess, it's all of grace. It's nothing of myself. It's all of mercy, and it's all of God's goodness. And beloved, this is the work that God calls us to, primarily as a church of Jesus Christ. We elders must never be troubled by the fact that sometimes our consistory agenda is filled with names of people who need to be called to repentance. We expect that. That's the work to which Christ has called us. That's the purpose for which Christ came. And when the elders come, calling us to repentance, perhaps, we don't expect maybe to see them at our door. We don't try to make excuses and try to wriggle out of it. This is the work of Christ. This is why Christ came, so that he could place individuals in my life who would love me to such a measure that they would call me to repentance. I don't despise my parents. I don't despise my friends. I hear their call. And I hear Christ in it. And Christ looks up sinners. He pursues them. He seeks those who are not spiritually healthy. Those who are not walking as they ought. Why? To bring them to repentance. That's the love that Christ has for his children. And that's the loving work of Christ through his church. Officially, but also informally. And the fruit, beloved, is this. We keep singing of God's faithfulness and of the marvelous mercy of God. Every moment of our lives, we're focused on the wonder of God's goodness to me, the sinner. As we celebrate Christmas then, beloved, we ask ourselves this question. Which confession is mine? Do I see myself as righteous? Though I may confess gospel truths, though I may have the right words to say, Love's not going to be evident in my life. There's not going to be humility. There's not going to be kindness. There's going to be no mercy. I'm not going to respond to the call to repent. I'm going to become angry. I'm going to turn away. I'm going to blame shift if it comes to me. If you're one who is identified as one who is righteous, you're going to object when known sinners come to church. Why would that person come to our church? I know what that person's done. Why would that woman come to church? What would motivate him? I know that their motivations are, are, are wrong. They're incorrect. And so that we begin to have issues with others in the congregation, thinking of ourselves more highly than others. Why are they here? What do they think that they're doing? Why would they try to come? Do you know where I saw that one or that individual? Do you know where they've come from? Do you know their background? 
Such an attitude, beloved, reveals and exposes a Pharisee. We're not going to say that. We're not going to admit it. But we don't need to because why? Jesus knows our hearts. And Jesus sees it. But beloved, by God's grace, rather, we hear him. We hear his call. And we confess, I'm sick. I need a physician. And like Levi, we repent. We take up our cross. We leave all that is of ourselves. And we follow him. He came for me. And as a member of Christ, I confess my sin and the depravity of my heart. I confess my unworthiness. I confess my tendency to flee from Christ instead of to Christ. I confess that he came to heal my sickness, to soothe my pain, and to ransom me from the grave. And he came not for the self-righteous proclaiming one. He emptied himself for the sake of the sinner in order to take us into a fellowship and a communion that knows no bounds. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the wonder of Christmas. We thank thee for the wonder of the gospel and for the work of thy grace in our hearts, giving us to know as those that are sick, we have a physician. We have a great physician. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we rejoice in the wonder work by which he calls us, forgives us, gives us to know fellowship with him, and gives us to walk humbly with kindness and meekness toward those around us with that zeal that we too might be used by thee to express the wonder of the love of Christ to those around us. Amen. We turn to Psalter.